We'll read from the Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter, the first verse. This Gospel opens with these words, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You need a beginning to celebrate a birthday. You need a beginning to learn a musical instrument, to follow directions to a destination. You must know where you're starting from. You need a beginning. And certainly, to be a Christian, you need a beginning. There are four Gospels, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John. You know that. Each begins uniquely. When Matthew presents the gospel, he sees royalty. And so he opens with these words, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He set out to establish that Jesus was a descendant of King David, and therefore the rightful heir to the throne. In fact, it's um, Matthew whose attention was drawn to what the wise men who came from the east asked when they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So to Matthew's Jewish audience, ancestry was important. For that reason, he began with genealogy. He notes that Jesus, as a descendant of Abraham, was the promised seed through whom the entire human race was to be blessed. But his key seems to be throughout to establish Jesus as the king of the Jews, the king of kings, royalty. Luke sees history. He writes to Theophilus and opens with these words, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. And he continues to explained that he has received from eyewitnesses the account that he now provides and adds, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write unto thee. So he establishes the history as far as Jesus' history in this uh, world goes. And uh, begins with the account of the miraculous births of John the Baptist and subsequently of Jesus, providing more details than the other writers on the the history of those events. He also covers genealogy, but he traces Jesus' ancestry back to Adam, perhaps to show that Jesus came not only to uh, redeem the Jewish nation, but the entire human race. 
Well, if, if Matthew sees royalty and Luke history, Jesus, or John the writer, rather, sees Jesus' divinity. And so he opens with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and was not, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he was not only God, but the Creator. And he emphasized throughout his writings the miracles of Jesus to establish his divinity. And toward the end of the book, he, he says why he wrote. And was almost apologetic that he could not write everything that had transpired, but acknowledged that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. But these are written, he says, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But not only that, but that believing you might have life through his name. And of course, John gave us what we know as John 3.16, emphasizing Jesus' divinity. He was and is the Son of God. Mark's approach is different. He doesn't begin with creation like John did. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was God. Uh, He doesn't, well, he hardly notes Adam, Abraham, or David. He only acknowledges them as it pertains to others acknowledging them in in his writings. Little reference to royalty or divinity, but if, if I were to offer a word here, Mark offers practicality. He just gets right into what Jesus did in human hearts. He moves right into uh, what, what, how Jesus changed hearts and how the gospel was very practical in the sense that it changed the way people walked. It changed the way individuals lived. It's not that he did not think the other elements were important, but Perhaps time was of the essence with him. And so he just opens with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and takes off from there. But even for him to use the word gospel, you know that gospel means good news or good tidings, glad tidings. And it is, it still is. So this was the good news that he was presenting to his readers and uh, furthermore, the gospel, this good news, has an uh, implied meaning of victory. And that, that makes sense. Whoever came forth and declared, I have good news for you today, and it's just defeat or discouragement. So if the gospel is anything, the gospel is victory, and it is that and more. So he spent less time, and he really did, on what Jesus said and more time on what Jesus did. And what he did is he gave a beginning to individuals, a spiritual beginning for those who lacked it. He gave hope to the hopeless and to the discouraged. He gave encouragement That's the good news of the gospel. There is hope. 
there's every reason in the world to be encouraged. As we uh, look toward heaven, we have every right to claim the promises of God and have the assurance that he brings good out of bad and adds good to good. So he, he declared what, what God did in the hearts of those who responded to John the Baptist. Those who responded to John the Baptist's preaching of repentance were given a beginning. They had a, a fresh start in life and a new start in a spiritual, in a spiritual walk. Crooked lives were made straight. Publicans, these tax collectors who took advantage of the citizens began uh, making restitution. That was a surprise. That's what God did in the hearts of those who responded to even the preaching of John the Baptist as he pointed individuals to one that would come after him. We see that soldiers stopped abusing innocent citizens. And perhaps guilty citizens were more reluctant to abuse the soldiers. I don't know. And suddenly the soldiers were content with their wages. Those who had plenty shared with those who lacked when they hadn't done so before. John came preaching in the wilderness and many went out to hear him. He was not close to the um, population centers of the day. But he drew a crowd. And those individuals, when they uh, qualified to be water baptized, uh, came up out of the water, a different person, and they went into the water. Or at least they went back to the population centers, different individuals than they were when they came out into the wilderness. And they began to make amends for the way they had been living up until that point. And word spread. Word does spread. You can't, you can't, um, you can't keep this thing quiet. We had a testimony Friday night, where the attempt was made to keep it quiet. Well, it worked for a little while, but it's not quiet anymore. And it wasn't for very long even then. So the practical aspect of the gospel is that God changes one heart at a time. And those changed hearts result in a changed society. That's why the solution to the problems of the human race is the good news of the gospel. And that's why we uh, are relentless in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What worked in the day of the Baptist, it works today. And when, G when John the Baptist was imprisoned, then Jesus came forth and began preaching Echoing the same message that many of these had already heard, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's nearby. And in fact, it was so close that they didn't realize how close they were. If they were close enough to hear his words, the kingdom of, of God was in the person of Jesus Christ. He confronted their conscious, consciences and he still does. Our consciences are smitten when we first hear the gospel. 
because no one wants to acknowledge that they haven't lived up to a standard that God demands. I remember I thought I did it delicately, but I, I remember telling my dad he was a sinner. And he testified about it. And that's kind of the way he, he put it, is that he didn't name me, but he said his son told him he was a sinner and he was a bit offended at that. Well, it is offensive when you try to live right. You bring up seven children, and in his mind, you pay the bills and stay with your wife and uh, live a, a decent uh, life as far as he was concerned. And as far as I was concerned, and still am, he lived a decent life. But living a decent life won't get you to heaven. <clears throat> you must be born again. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And until we confess and acknowledge and assume responsibility for our sins, there's no victory. But the good news is that you can have victory. And that's what Jesus um, brought, as well as John the Baptist, the good news of the gospel. When our consciences are confronted and smitten and we are embarrassed, well, that's good news in the sense that it takes that step to produce or to bring forth from our hearts godly sorrow for sin. It's one thing to be sorry that we ever got ourselves into a mess. It's another thing to be apologetic to our Creator, to the God of heaven, and realize we didn't offend a man as much as we offended God. And that brings godly sorrow that's not to be repented of. We confess our sins and plead for mercy and find that the Lord is there to extend just that mercy and He saves our souls. Well, we read here, you heard read, uh, that Jesus walked by the shores of the sea there. And this wasn't a walk like some of you walk in the morning or in the evening. Well, you walk different ways, I'm sure of that. Some walk to clear their heads and casually and slowly. Others walk quickly. Others, I guess, break into a run. I don't know, I can't catch up with you, but I guess you do. But uh, Jesus walked with a purpose. He had an appointment with these four fishermen, two sets of brothers, beginning with Andrew and Peter. And actually, Mark omits some uh, details that are provided elsewhere in the other Gospels, but his first appointment was with Andrew, Peter's brother. And he, he spoke to him, and let it be known to him, follow me, and I'll make you to be fishers of men. And Andrew, uh, whatever transpired there, he realized this was the Messiah, and this was not without warning. He had been there with John, the beloved, uh, when uh, Jesus uh, apparently pointed to, uh, or when John the Baptist apparently pointed to uh, Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And within a day or, or so, here, here comes this one to whom the Baptist pointed and uh, called Andrew and said, Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He immediately went and told Simon Peter, his brother, I, I found the Messiah, or we have found the Messiah. So there, there was warning 
It's not like when the Lord visits a heart who is estranged from him that there's no indicators along the way, that there is no, no warning, no attempt for him to disclose himself to, to individuals. But there does come a moment in time where any individual, every individual cannot deny that the Lord is calling me. Well, those two followed, and we, we learned that as Jesus taught on the seashore, or rather, he wanted to teach to those who had assembled on the shore, and so he asked to borrow Peter's boat and used it for a platform and a pulpit and, and preached to the, to the multitudes. Afterward, uh, told Peter to launch back out and throw down his nets, Peter objected. He's a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter, perhaps a mason. And uh, you do your carpentry and I'll do my fishing, is maybe what he thought. Uh, he fished all night and caught nothing. But nevertheless, he said, you're well, uh, we'll do it. And he did it. And they caught so many fish that the net began to break. They called the other two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, and realized that this was Jesus. Peter cried out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. His conscience was, became active, and he was embarrassed, ashamed. Well, the Lord didn't depart. The Lord said, Follow me, and I'll make you to be a fisher of men. And that's exactly what, what the Lord did. They had a beginning there. If you ask the fishermen, <clears throat> when, when did the gospel of Jesus Christ begin for you? They wouldn't take you back to Adam or Abraham or David. They would take you to the Sea of Galilee and say, right there along the shore there, there's where we were, just minding our own business literally, cleaning nets or uh, finishing up with the fishing. And there with our dad is what um, two of them would have said, Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and other servants there. And uh, it began when we uh, committed ourselves to leave our livelihood and to follow the Lord. Well, the Lord still, still calls individuals. It may change your livelihood. That's, there's no doubt about that. You cannot be the Lord's disciple unless you are willing to forsake all and follow him. Well, that's what they did. And that, that was the beginning of the gospel uh, for them. The gospel is by invitation. We could say it's, it's somewhat exclusive. Somewhat. Stick around. It takes an invite to, to come to the Lord. But the good news is that that invitation goes to every individual. Whosoever will may come. But the Lord knocks on the door, and that's the time uh, to respond. He says, you've not uh, chosen me. I have chosen you. Except that invitation comes in a manner where uh, we can respond, and it does come in that manner. We, we cannot come. But the Spirit of the Lord is, has promised to draw every individual. These, these fishermen, they were industrious men. They, they were. They weren't slothful. They, they worked. They weren't uh, lazy. It's hard for a lazy person to get saved. 
It might be impossible, actually, because it takes initiative. It takes determination. You just can't fall out of bed and you're saved. You've got to pray, seek the face of God. Then it takes uh, some industry to even serve God. You must stick with it. It's a warfare. Nobody coasts into heaven. You know, you'll get through uh, into heaven through great tribulation. And I don't say the great tribulation. Through trials and tests. But you'll get there. That's the good news. There's victory. That's what gospel means. There's triumph. So they followed the Lord. They, they had personal ambition. <clears throat> they surrendered it and determined that they were going to follow the Lord's ambitions for their lives. But Jesus left the seashore and went to the synagogue. Jesus went to church. He still comes to church. And there as he as he delivered his his message, there the people were engaged. They had never heard a man teach like this man. It was not only what he said, but it was how he said it. So he he had a a captivated audience, not a captive audience, a captivated audience. But there was one there we heard read of who had an unclean spirit. And we think of someone like that, perhaps demons or um, manifested in a very uh, obvious satanic way. But uh, unclean spirit can also just mean a foul spirit, a bad spirit, a negative spirit. He distracted the service. He cried out. And the Lord commanded that foul spirit to come out of him. And that man had a beginning suddenly. Where did it begin for you? Well, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in church that day. When the Lord spoke in a manner that I understood with authority. But he he had to surrender to the Lord in order to be delivered from that foul spirit. But he was. And from the synagogue, he went to Peter's home. This was an active day for the Lord, just one day. Probably the world itself could not contain the books that should be written about what happened in that day. But we have some of it. Well, lo and behold, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. She was down. She did not feel well. And not only did her boys or her son-in-law and his brother come, uh, but also the sons of Zebedee were there. And they all crash the home. And I don't think they lived in a home like most live in these days. And it probably wasn't very big, even if many of them lived there. But uh, they, they told her about Jesus and what had happened uh, to the man with the unclean spirit and what had happened there on the shores of Galilee. We, we need to have Jesus come here. Oh, she, 
she wasn't going to have him come that day. She was, she wasn't dressed. Her hair wasn't fixed up. She was in no mood uh, to have company. But they persuaded her and Jesus came and put his hands on her head and she was delivered uh, from that fever and got up and began serving as the hostess she was always known by her family to be. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for Peter's mother-in-law, well, it was that day when all these guys showed up and I wasn't prepared to host any of them. But I met Jesus that day. That was the beginning, and my life has never been the same. Well, you need a beginning. Throughout this chapter, we see the, the words actually translated three different ways, but uh, immediately, forthwith, and straightway. If you've not had a beginning, you need to come immediately and forthwith pray and straightway get right with God. That will be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in your life. It takes action on your part. The Bible says, by God, actions are weighed, I should say. But today's the day to do it. This is just one day. Look what Jesus did in one day. I don't think there's any case here that overwhelms the Lord. He can take care and satisfy, according to his will, every case that exists in this uh, audience this morning, and including the webcast and radio audiences as well. Let today be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in your life. If you've had a beginning, drop to your knees and thank God that you can hearken back to that beginning and pray that God will give you the determination uh, to finish to the end of this Christian race.